Would you open God's precious holy word to Psalm 65? Praise to the Savior who sustains us. Um, not, I don't know that the word is amused. I'm, um, I don't know what I am. Not stunned. I guess I marvel at how people think of God. You can't think of God personally, aside from God in Christ. Now, He reveals Himself in His creation. We can know something about the awesome power of God. And really, the more his creation is studied, whether, whether by astronomers or microbiologists, the perfect balance, the laws of physics and so forth, one cannot but marvel there's, there's no way this is by chance or by random. And this, this pattern of extraordinary wisdom and intelligence is seen in, in every new discovery. So one can know something about God by studying creation. You certainly learn about God studying His Word, but who God is and how He relates, of course, is revealed. He reveals it. He reveals Himself as He comes to us in God the Son, Jesus Christ. That said, as man moves on in his story, He, and, and of course the Bible said it would be this way, he dumbs himself down when it comes to a knowledge of God. And his best response to the things that he discovers and doesn't know how it could be so wonderful, his best response apart from God is to throw a theory out here and there, a theory. Well, this is how I think it happened. This is a theory. Theory is not knowledge. So to use the phrase scientific theory really is an oxymoron. There's, if it's science, it's knowledge. If it's a theory, it's theoretical. It's not, it's not knowledge. So how can we... How can we think of God? We cannot, except as he reveals himself. That's the only way we can know him. Unfortunately, we create ways to try to describe him. And we, we put him, we, we bring him, or we try to, in our minds we do, 
we bring him into the time-space continuum in which he placed us. But he exceeds that. He, he exceeds it in a way that is indescribable. You can't really think of a word and apply it to the Almighty God because the Word is a man-made Word and anything man-made that man conjures is, is not enough. There's no way. He's, his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts as He tells us in the Scripture. He does, however, according to His purpose and sovereign will, chooses to reveal himself and how he does that of course is written in his word but back to the contemporary thoughts that men have about God the best we can do in any thought or description of God is just to simply reference His Word in general and specifically reference Christ. So this is how we know God. And to give Him any other manifestation or, or caricature or, or description is just simply wrong. It's, it's, it's too small. It's not enough. So, looking back through history and looking back at biblical times, the Old Testament, and the history that uh, runs parallel, that we are not told, but that the biblical characters lived in those historical times, we see, for example, that other than those whom God had chosen for Himself and had revealed Himself to whom He had revealed Himself, the other nations th through demonic possession and, and oppression, they, they conjured up gods and goddesses, strange uh, behaviors, st strange images of what their god or goddess would look like. And they were always local deities. They were, they were just confined to the culture, to the nation. And they would go to war in those days and it would be as though one God and his people were going to war with another God and his people. Now, of course, Yahweh stood for his people, but he didn't always let them win because letting them win sometimes wasn't the best thing to do. It would have underscored or it would have, it would have strengthened them in their sinful way. And the Word of God is very clear that from time to time he would raise up another nation, another nation that worshipped another god so that that nation could defeat his people and bring them back to repentance and humility. So the question is, you know, as believers, how, how, well, what can we think of God? Well, there's one thing for sure, you can't think enough of Him. You can't think too highly of Him 
And that's a lesson that I've learned. I suppose I started a really serious Bible study, a study of the Bible, when I was 16. Four or five years ago, right? That would have been 52 years ago. And it's, it's been my life, you know, to, to study the Word and to just keep studying and always finding different things from the same passages that I had looked at and studied a hundred other times. Because the Bible lives. It bears witness to the one who studies it in the way that the person needs it at that particular time. So having studied it, there's one thing that has... That, that, that has continued to expand and in my view will continue to expand in my mind into the ages of the ages beyond the millennial kingdom, past the great white throne, into the new heaven and new earth. And it is this, that the, the increase of my knowledge of him will never stop. Because he's inexhaustible. He's God. He can't belong to the same dimensions. He, he, he is beyond those dimensions. In, he has them. In him we live and move and have our being. He's beyond the dimensional life that we have uh, presently and even, even then. So ever how long you may try to think of as eternity... It will, never be, it will never be long enough. This is the wonderful thing. And there's an implication in the Scripture that ages, aeons, ages, will continue beyond the present age. There's just a brief, there's just a mild implication of that. I... I can't explain it because the Bible doesn't give a clear view, but it seems to tell us that somewhere in a million years or two, we may have examined and studied our Creator and His creation and His grace toward us and His power in His creation until He's ready for us to go to the next thing and it's a new age, I don't know. Seems like that would be the way it would be because life in glorification will never be dull. Back to the question then, how, how, how big is God in our, in our minds? There's an old song that says he's big enough to rule this mighty universe yet small enough to live in my heart. There's, there's nothing in creation, and we don't even know how big our universe is, uh, but ever how far it may go, and there is an edge to it somewhere, but ever how far it may go, it is there because God put it there. God made it. God created it. It's that way about everything. If it's that way, and when we think of creation, we think of we think of space. We think of the space continuum, but we don't necessarily always think of the time-space continuum. 
But we need to understand that God is still in yesterday. He's already in tomorrow. While we are passing through the day, today. That's why we can be saved. What Christ did on the cross is as fresh and new in the mind of God and always will be because God is at all times everywhere. Someone can come to Christ tonight and the blood applied to him is just as fresh and powerful as the day when it was spilled out of his veins on Calvary. So it is not so difficult for me, having gone through these years, not just of studying the Bible, but of personal experience, to know that in, for example, the 139th Psalm, when the Bible says, a book was written about you. All of the pages of your life, all of the days of your life, already in a book. Some people have a hard time. I don't have a hard time with that anymore. Because God is so powerful. Nothing is too small to escape His notice. Nothing is too big for Him to accomplish. And He does it all at the same time in the way that he wants to do it. So here we are in our little limited existence, and how then, how then do we think of God? Well, the Bible gives us direction. We do it in the best way we can. God shows us how to do it. The wonderful thing about, and I've said this so many times, but it, the wonderful thing about the Psalms is that here, here is David for most of them, not all of them, but most of them. And David starts out a troubled man at the beginning of a Psalm and maybe even questions God, you know, I'm not supposed to do that. By the middle of the Psalm, he begins to calm down and feel the presence of God. And by the end of the Psalm, he's rejoicing and praising God. He didn't start out that way. And the funny thing, the, the wonderful thing is, this is the inspired Word of God. God put that prayer in His heart. You know, God says, go ahead. Be a, be a confused man because you are. But you just stay on those knees and stay in this prayer. And by the time you get to the end of it, you'll quit looking at yourself and you'll be looking at me. And it's always a happier thing. W.A. Criswell used to say, if the outlook is gloomy, try the uplook. It's always good. This psalm sort of brings that to my mind when I read through it and study it. And so we've come to the 65th psalm, so let's look at that together. Psalm 65, praise to the Savior who sustains us. You know, I, I tell you all along that Christ died to save us. He lives to keep us. He's coming again for us. 
I could not have saved myself. Christ had to save me. He had to come and, and pay the price, the atonement. He had to justify me. God the Father, Romans 4, had to accept the sacrifice of God the Son so he was raised for our justification. So, so God accepted the payment. That means that I'm paid for. And I can tell you I'm not going to ask for a refund. There are no wrecking crews in heaven. Peter writes that we have, that we have a, a high heavenly home built, and you can study it in the original text, and it means that it's there, and it's not going to be removed. There are no wrecking crews in heaven. There is no eraser to the stylus that writes the name in the book of life. So grace has saved me, and grace sustains me. I cannot save myself. I cannot keep myself saved. And I cannot overcome the power of the world. He must come again and do it for me. And I cannot place myself into the joint air reign with Christ. He has to do it for me. Praise to the Savior who sustains us. Well, first of all, praise the Savior. Let's look at this. Now, again, let me remind you that I, I translated from the Hebrew. So my, and the Hebrew is one verse in the Psalms. It's one verse ahead because they put the, 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 the introduction as a verse to itself, and I don't think that your translation does that. So if I'm in verse 3, I think you'll probably be in verse 2, okay? For the conductor, a psalm of David, a psalm. A song is awaiting you, Elohim in Zion, and to you the vow will be performed. We cannot help but worship. This is the beauty of, of grace. We can only use the word grace against the backdrop of our own depravity. Nothing good in me. Dead in trespass and sin. Can't, can't make myself live if I'm dead. Something has to happen. Peter writes again in Peter, he says, God has caused us to be born Again, Paul writes, I think to the Philippians, and he says that your faith is a gift. God gives you faith. It's not something you conjure up. That doesn't come from a depraved nature. It comes from a regenerated nature, a born-again soul. Now, the longer I travel this journey the more I realize how wretched I really am, how wretched we all are. And it humbles me. 
And I realized that it was grace that saved me. It is grace that keeps me saved. The power of Christ. He said to the woman who clung to him after his resurrection but before his ascension, let me go. Turn me loose. I haven't ascended to my father yet. He said that because he died to save us, but he still has to go up as high priest to keep us safe. He's my lawyer. He's my mediator. The accuser can bring no accusation against me. Just the appearance of the resurrected Son in the presence of the Father is enough to clear me of all charges past, present, future. So he lives to keep me saved. He sustains me. This extracts worship from me. <laughs> Praise. I can't say anything good about myself, about my salvation. Oh, let me tell you. He was, a, he, was a, he was a tough one, man. He was a hard... God, there's nothing tough for God. He saves whom He will. We pray for them all. We preach to them all. We long for them all to be saved. But in the end, it's all of God. We worship Him. We thank Him because why? Why me? And this will be the great cause of worship Forever. A song is awaiting you, Elohim in Zion, and to you the vow will be performed. Zion. A song to be sung, praise to be lifted, a sacrifice to be offered, looking forward to the day of Christ. You who hears prayer to you all flesh will come. You can't, you can't pray to anybody else but God. Words of iniquities have overcome me. As for our transgressions, you will provide atonement for them. We're back to this same subject of David getting accused of things that are lies, stuff made up about him. That's hard to fight. You can't fight that kind of thing. You just have to, you just have to collapse in the presence of a sovereign God and pray to him. Words of iniquities have overcome me. Now in iniquity, notice the words are different here. Iniquities, transgressions. Iniquities, that's like, that's like something that someone thinks is personal. I've, I've done something personal. But transgression, that is to transgress the law. But he, he goes to the plural in his reference to both of them. Iniquities and transgressions, you atone for all of it. You will provide atonement for them. If there is one thing David had a clear focus on, it was his doctrine of Messiah, the Christ. On more than one occasion, 
He referenced him, but he couldn't call him by his name because he didn't know what his name was going to be. The Bible tells us David did reference him one time as the name. That's how he called him, the name. Further described by Paul in Philippians, the one who has the name that is above every name. It's the best thing David could do, just the name. You will provide atonement for them. So then, praise the Savior. Secondly, bless the elect. Look at this. Blessed is the man you choose and cause... I got, I got type happy there and I doubled my and. God doesn't stutter, that's me. Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you. You cause him to approach you. That he may dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. Now, David lived in a time before the temple of Solomon was built. There was a, a, a semblance of the tabernacle in David's day. David was not allowed, you know the story, he wasn't allowed to build the temple. He was a man of war. He had blood on his hands. But his son Solomon, Shalomah, a son of peace, his son would be permitted to build the temple. But David made all the arrangements. He, he, he secured the property and, and did all the stuff he needed to do for the material to be ready and all this kind of thing. So he knew how God would be worshipped. All you have to do is read the book of Exodus, for example, and see how Yahweh instructs Moses to build the tabernacle. And, of course, the ta tabernacle and later the temple patterned after the real temple in heaven which will disappear with the, with the first heaven and the first earth. John said there was, no, there was no temple there. He saw the new heaven the new earth and there was no temple there. Why? Well it's needed up there now because even though I'm saved as hard as this is for Pat to believe I'm not perfect. We all stumble. We we get mad at people and do stuff. So the temple in heaven has seven great bowls of wrath. Drip by drip, each one is being filled until the final drip and the last one is filled and then those seven bowls will be poured out. Not there yet, obviously. So there are priest-like Angels who attend those bowls. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, our Lord, when he is seen in the Revelation, in the, in the first few verses, he is seen in his high priestly garments, fresh, from his place of intercession. Book of Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 7, 
somewhere around verses 24 and 25, he ever lives, he ever lives to make intercession for his own. Fresh from the work of intercession, as the time of wrath is about to fall, the bride of Christ is called up with the great command, come up here. Revelation, what, 4 verse 1? So then, Christ makes atonement for his own. Holy Spirit is sent out, drawing those whom the Father would. He says in John 6, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. So the Father gives these to the Son, and the Son says, all who come to me I will never. It's a double negative in the Greek. I will never, ever, not never cast him out. This is the will of the Father who sent me that I lose not one, but raise him up at the last day. So here we are. Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you. But he can live in those courts. Be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. So we move from there to confess the awesome work of God. So now we, we elevate our, our thoughts into, into higher loftiness with awesome deeds. In righteousness you will answer us. Elohim of our salvation. You who are the trust of all the distant ends of the earth and the sea, who established mountains with his strength, being clothed with power, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the tumult of the nations. You see, all of nature is in the control of God. It, it, you know, look, I don't want to lose the ozone layer. I, I don't want to suffocate to death. I don't like to see the rain, the, 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 the rain forests being leveled. I wouldn't invest in those companies. I don't invest in anything, really. But let me tell you something. There is nothing that man can do to destroy the natural state of this world because it is in the hands of God. Nothing. And I say that even, even with more commitment when I, when I look at the Revelation, especially and those, those seals are broken and the trumpets are blown and the bowls are poured out and God uses nature or His destruction of it as judgment upon those who are still dwelling on the earth. That's not in my power. It's not in the power of all the people in the world. It's in the power of God. And this is how we worship Him. 
You control the seas. You control the mountains. You control the ends of the earth. You even control the uproar of nations. I read it somewhere this week. We should be like Isaiah. When we get upset with the current state of affairs, just look up and you will see that God is on his throne. I saw Yahweh high and lifted up. He was attended to by seraph, seraphim, the burning ones. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty One. They're still singing their song, chanting their chant, maybe not singing. God is still praised. He's still in power. The dwellers of the far ends fear your signs. With the emergence of morning and evening, you cause them to sing praises. God is sovereign over his creation. If we, if we get too smarty pants with him, he'll just send us back to the Tower of Babel. He'll do something because he's God. And he's in control of everything. And so what? We confess his awesome deeds and we worship him. Because of who he is, this humbles us even more. And this is where we belong, humbled before our Creator and our Savior. And then confess how God provides for us. One of the great condemnations of humanity, of society in Romans 1, is that people become thankless. They lose their gratitude toward God for what he gives us. And they go crazy. You know how Romans 1 describes the collapsing society. Confess that God provides for us everywhere. You care for the earth. You water it. You enrich it greatly with the stream of Elohim, which is full of water. You hear that? The stream of Elohim, which is full of water. God can give us water whenever he wants to. You provide their grain, for so you prepared it. You saturate its ridges. You settle its furrows with showers. You make it soft. You bless its sprouts. You crown the year with your goodness and your paths drip with abundance. They drip upon the pastures of the desert and hills gird themselves with joy. The pastures are clothed with flocks. Valleys are covered with grain. They shout for joy, yes. They sing. God provides all of it as he sees fit. It's the common grace of God. It rains on the just and on the unjust. But of all people, God's people should identify the source of all these blessings. Couldn't have a drink of water. Couldn't have a piece of bread if God had not provided for it. God does it. So then, we praise the Savior 
who saves us, who sustains us, who will always take care of us. We're going to stop there and we'll have our deacon.